Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 154. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. Here to celebrate the start of the NFL season. We are deep into the preseason so far. I know a lot of people are getting excited. We're also here to celebrate the 15th anniversary of Invincible. 15 years. It's hard to believe this movie is as old as it as it as it is because I when this movie came out, I was all excited to see it. Oddly enough, I didn't see it in movie theaters because I don't think it lasted long enough. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you are not the biggest football fan in the world. You were probably not running to the box office to see this. How many times had you seen this prior to this week? Prior to this week, zero. I have seen this movie two times in total in preparation for this show. But I am surprised that this one slipped by me because I love a good Mark Wahlberg movie. And who doesn't love the story of an underdog? Well, Disney loves these movies, right? They love these stories. Whether it's Miracle, Remember the Titans, The Rookie, Invincible. They love these underdog, feel-good sports stories. So, I mean, we're going to get into the plot here in just a few minutes. But it's not a surprise to me that this was a film that Disney decided to make and that this was a story that they decided to make. It does make a lot of sense to me that this is the direction they would go in. Right, because as you said, it's a feel-good sports movie. Are they going to do a feel-bad sports movie? <laughs> no. Are we not going to see a happy end? I mean, Disney was not about to produce Itania. No, certainly not. All right, so look, we're going to discuss all of this in just a moment here. Um, my, I mean... I, what I'm curious to see as we kind of flesh this out, does it hold up in regards to some of the other sports movies? We know sometimes Disney likes to embellish some of the stories. Is this a movie that they embellish? Is this something where they add a lot of drama and change the story? That is what we are here to discuss today. This review is sponsored by the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Products include Disney and Pixar-inspired 3D straw charms. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Visit Instagram or Etsy, search for Hidden Mickey Supply Co., and shop for all of your straw charm needs. We meet Vince Papali, a bartender who's also an out-of-work school teacher and recently divorced. Dick Vermeil has recently been hired as the head coach of Vince's beloved Philadelphia Eagles and has called for open tryouts. Vince's friends convince him to try out as he is a football standout, especially during their beer league sandlot games. Of all the people who tried out, Vince was the only one to get an invite to Eagles training camp, which not only earns him neighborhood respect, but also the attention of Janet, his new co-worker, who is a New York Giants fan. And if you are a fan of the NFL, you know what a big deal that is. At training camp, Vince initially struggles, but shows more heart than anyone. Of course he did. If he didn't, Disney wouldn't have made this film. As camp goes on, Vince continues to survive the cuts while also starting a relationship with Janet. At least it's trending that way. But he backs out of it after surviving the first round of cuts because he really just wants to focus on football. Uh, Vince returns back to camp to see that he's now bunking with Denny Franks and they help each other 
get through the camp because they had both been struggling up to that point. Both had almost been cut, actually. Despite what the other coaches think, Vermeil gives Vince the final roster spot. Vince has a dis- uh, disappointing first game, and the Eagles lose to the Dallas Cowboys. After failing to make amends with Janet, Vince shows up to play football with his friends from the bar, and Johnny, one of his friends from the neighborhood, asks him to win one for the boys in the neighborhood. Eventually, Vince and Janet get together again, and she, along with the boys from the bar, head to Veterans Stadium to see the Eagles play Janet's New York Giants. With the game tied late, Vince forces a fumble and recovers it for a touchdown. We learn that Vince played three seasons for the Eagles, and Vermeil led the Eagles to the Super Bowl in 1981, and that Vince also married Janet. All right, so... This, as I've read this here, this is not a surprise that Disney decided to tackle this story. I think what was a bit of a surprise, the movie did underperform at the box office. Now, listen, there's nothing against the Philadelphia Eagles or their fans, but I think because this was very much a niche film for a niche fan base, that's probably why... In terms of at least national attention, this one didn't take off quite as much in the box office. I get what you're saying because you would expect an established fan base to come out for something like this. But I feel like this story is so Philly-centric Uh some of it doesn't really translate over to a bigger picture where you can find something to relate to. Like I, I, and I think this is going to come up a lot because it's one of the more obvious comps to this film is remember the Titans. Obviously it's a football film, but what makes the story bigger than its setting is that the themes are so important and still relevant today, not just for the time the movie was made, but you can put that movie on anytime, anywhere and find it poignant because it is, it still is. Right. I think that if you are an Eagles fan, of course you want to hear this story, but you know, if you're a Nebraska Cornhuskers fan and really all you have is college football, is this a movie that you're really going to be drawn to? And certainly Because it's American football, you lose a lot of the international box office as well. Right. This isn't a film like Jackie that would translate across a bigger audience or even The Babe. I mean, granted, we are Yankees fans, but that film is so well done. I think any fan base could appreciate it. Well, and it's, it's like if you made a Michael Jordan movie. If you made a Michael Jordan movie, people are going to go see it because it's Michael Jordan. The same thing can be said for Dale Earnhardt, Wayne Gretzky. Babe Ruth, you know, these are people that were the premier athlete considered to be the best at what they did in the history of that sport. This is a beautiful story. It's a great story. Um, But I do think that it did lack the appeal that would really make it a box office smash. And again, it's nothing against... Vincent Papali or the Philadelphia Eagles, but I do think there's a niche market for this movie. But see, that's funny because this should translate to the bigger picture. Like you would think 
that everyone would latch onto the idea of anyone can do this. Anyone can try out. The average Joe can become a star athlete. And I mean, what's more of a Disney a Disney story than that? No, you're very you're you're right. It's a hundred percent accurate. But I'm saying in terms of there being a box office draw, I think the draw is the city of Philadelphia because I mean, we're going to get into the film now, but as you pointed out, it's South Philly centric. Like South Philly in this film almost feels like its own character. Definitely. And I'm saying so like a Bronx tale here. Let's and now we're not we're, it's not a sports movie, but let's take a Bronx tale. Does anybody in Houston, Texas care about a Bronx tale? Probably not. They should. They should, but they probably don't. But all of the, you know what though, and, and see that's what makes all the films that we're naming better films, is because they are centered around an issue of race and people learning to overcome racism, and that's why those films are still relevant and they're so much more well done than this. You didn't have that element here. Well, let's put a pin in that. I'm not. I'm not ready to say that any that any one movie is necessarily better than this. All right. Let's before we get into okay, it. Okay. Okay. I just I just want to hit on the title. Clever. Clever play on words because when you hear Invincible you think of something it's kind of war movie sounding like it reminds me of Unbroken or something like that the right. Angelina Jolie movie. Mm-hmm. Um but I just thought it was such a clever play on his name. It was for sure. But I love how the opening credits are shot and how they're yes. edited, right? This is where you start getting the feeling that South Philly is that character. It's gritty. The The colors are sort of washed out. And you're seeing people in their houses. You know, they're not, they're not luxury homes by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, you know that the strike is happening. You know that industry is suffering. So therefore, people are suffering. Uh, it just does a good job setting the stage early and especially I think believe it was 1975 or 76 this movie is set in so the soundtrack everything they do a good job establishing this neighborhood from the jump definitely even you know if you're not from the area we've been to Philly a couple of times uh I I think you know certain places in the tri-state area you can just sort of relate to that Mm -hmm. but even if you're not from the northeast I think you can get a pretty good feel for this setting and find something to relate to in it. Um, you brought up the amazing cinematography. I love how that continues throughout the whole film. In the credits, it's kind of washed out, but uh, Philly is shot. And again, it, it plays to what you said as Philly is the character. Uh, it's shot with almost like a yellow tone or like a sepia tone yeah. in some ways. Um and they, they stick to it like that for the whole movie, except for when he's on the football field, which is much brighter. So it's a subtle visual cue, but um, it, it's a great device to tell the story. For sure. And I love that we start with Sandlot football. Yes. I think that what this does is it introduces a fairly large cast, right? Because... We'll get into the characters in a little while, but it's not just Vince. It's Vince. It's Max. It's Johnny. It's Tommy. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's all of these guys that he knows from working at the bar. 
because he does 10 bar on the side. It's friends of his. It's the guys from the neighborhood. It's the boys from the neighborhood. But it also shows them they really lean into that South Philly tough thing, which is going to be important. You know, at times it almost comes off heavy handed. But as, as you really start to unpack everything that's happening to Vince, it actually is it's actually perfect. I, I think the attitude that they're trying to give this neighborhood and the fact that these guys, they're not playing two-hand touch, they're not playing flag football, they're playing tackle football, bloody black eye football, throwing each other into hoods of cars. I love what this does to not only introduce the cast, but to show us exactly who these people are. Absolutely. It's great character development out of the gate because you do get a a feel to see how these characters are going to think in a given situation. Um, And I think it also gives the audience something to relate to because these are the boys from the neighborhood. You should be able to see either yourself or a friend of yours in any one of these guys. I definitely can appreciate, I mean, I love the scene overall, but I especially appreciate that they started in the Sandlot football field as opposed to, at the bar. I don't think that you're going to get as much depth to these characters just seeing them, you know, kind of sitting around the bar ribbing each other a little bit. Yeah, bellying up to the bar and having a good time. I mean, listen, there's nothing wrong with that. I enjoy doing that, but you don't learn anything about the characters. And it does not serve to set up, I mean, I know I'm saying this at nauseum, but it doesn't do anything to set up South Philly as a character, as a setting, as an attitude. Because that's really what I think the basis of this entire movie is. I agree. And I feel like that that's something that audiences today might find a little bit hard to relate to. Because especially in the 70s, and especially in a town where industry is leaving, I think people are going to look at this today and be like, why would you stick around, not just go somewhere else? Especially in the work from home era now. Everybody can just sort of pick up and work wherever they want to this was taking place in a time where where you were from really meant something to you and you were gonna especially in a place like Philly you were gonna ride or die with it no matter what happened and you cared about your city enough to want to see it through and you know weather the storm and wait until industry comes back around and, and your town grows again I think that's something that people are going to have a hard time understanding. I think you're right. I think we understand it. And I'm not trying to talk down to anybody, but I think we understand that because being on Long Island, so much of this place, you know, if you're from here, you know about Robert Moses, you know about the Levittown affordable housing dream and how that was World War II veterans that were, they built these neighborhoods to give them affordable homes to come back to after the war. And you had aerospace here, you had farms here, you had commercial fishermen here. And most of that, if not all of that, is now gone. So we've seen it happen and we've seen the change and we've seen the industry leave. So... It's very much the same thing with Philly, but I feel like this, like in sports movies too, especially in period pieces, like they really lean into like the mills closing. You know what I'm saying? Like they did it in Slapshot, which, again, is not a is it's a work of fiction, but they really do lean into that. 
I think that's where these movies do tend to get a little tropey sometimes because it's like, oh, what a coincidence. All of your main characters work at said mill or factory that is closing. So I think that that is a little bit of a plot device that gets overused. I Yeah, I think you're right. But I, th- I think it depends on how heavy they go with it. Not a sports movie, October Sky. It works for October Sky. Totally. Right? Because that was a coal mill, I think, wasn't mm-hmm. it? So, like, certain times it works, but then other times, yeah, it can be a little too heavy-handed. But let's get back into the story here. As we get introduced to Vince, I, I said before that the Sandlot football, other than being a really cool visual, serves to introduce us to this character because he has such a rough go of it from the minute he comes on the screen. His wife leaves him and leaves him with a horrendous note, basically telling him, you're never going to make anything of yourself. And he gets, you know, fired from his job. I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but but this is, you know, what you're getting introduced to in the first 15 minutes of the film and you know, obviously, that he's going to play for the Philadelphia Eagles. That's why the movie got made. But you, the, the ending is spoiled by looking at the poster for the film or watching a trailer. <laughs> but you still need to make him a likable character. You, you need to give the audience something to root for. And he can't just be woe is me. So I think that's a lot of what makes this whole thing work, starting with this Sandlot football scene. For sure, especially cut up against he goes home and his wife has it out with him. I think, you know, if you see him cleaning up the bar, let's say that's where they did start it and he gets home late you'll be like, all right, that's not cool. The guy's getting home at four o'clock in the morning. It's not like he was out at the bar drinking. He's out at the bar working. You're being really harsh on him right now. But regardless of what he was doing, her speech is so harsh. I mean, I get it. They establish that they're struggling and we've seen it. The whole town is struggling. So this is not exclusive to them. And she's annoyed that instead of being out working, he's out playing football. So that is why coming home from the bar, even if he was working, really wouldn't cut against this that well because he would be he would have been out trying to make money. And she lambasts him for it. You know, she's like, you're a substitute teacher and you're a part-time bartender. What do you call that? Gainfully employed? I would. I certainly would. I mean... Maybe I'm a little bit biased because once upon a time you were a bartender, but bartenders make great money, especially, you know, we're used to being on Long Island. There's jet set bartenders that can work the entire summer in Fire Island, pick up and take off and go spend the winter in Puerto Rico and make great money. Well, I mean, that's this is not South Philly is not. Fire Island. No, I understand that. And and it was different times, but that's where I have trouble relating to her being angry that he does have a second job. And that's more my point is that everyone has a side hustle nowadays. I mean, granted, he wasn't teaching full time, but it's not like he stopped there. He did have the second job and a good job. I mean, I guess with the time 
maybe not as many people were patronizing the bar. So I can kind of see where she would take issue with it. But this bar during football, it's a football bar. It's always packed. It's not a bad side gig. So I think that a modern audience is going to have trouble relating to why she's so angry. Well, and because we don't know what she's doing. You know, what is she doing to bring in the money? She's working. We know she's working, but what is she doing? That's the thing. If she's working part-time at one job and he's working two jobs, that's the thing. Like, we're never going to relate to her, but I don't think... That's the thing. We're not supposed to. And my understanding, in terms of reality, and I don't want to get too far into the compare and contrast what was real and what was manufactured... He he. This woman did divorce him, and did leave him this note. So this is not something that was made up for drama's sake. So knowing that this really happened, we're not supposed to be sympathetic towards her. But it doesn't change the fact that, like you said, you know, they they had to pick a setting that wasn't the bar because if he comes home from work and she's mad. It's irrational because she's mad that he's working. She's exactly. Just, she's mad that he's working, but not the jobs that she wants him to work. Right. Get what I'm saying? Like he's working two jobs, but she's like frowning upon it. Well, then she should have married a lawyer or a doctor or something. Well, maybe she did after the fact because she didn't say married to Vince Papali. But the uh, you know, the uh, what I do like here, too, is that they don't waste a lot of time fleshing things out. Because, you know, the real meat of this story isn't her or their financial struggles so much as it is that the financial struggles are a part of what motivates him. The divorce is a part of what motivates him. The, the, the juice of the story is getting him to training camp with the Philadelphia Eagles. And I think that if they spent too much time focusing on backstory, focusing on secondary characters, and per- perhaps that's why the, the mill shutting down, it's not a mill, but that's what we're going to call it, the mill shutting down, maybe that's why it seems like a trope, because it's it's something that they were dealing with, but you don't really have to go into great detail with it. Right. I mean, as far as his ex-wife goes, you're not supposed to like her. Obviously, we're going to spend very little time with her, but... I don't think it's just half of his motivation. I think that's really the springboard more than anything else of him to go to these tryouts because he's got all of his buddies in his ear telling him, you're so great at football. You should really go do this. You need a why for him, not just because his friends told him to. And this is that why. He wants to prove to himself that he's not the failure that she just made him out to be. Because I I think... and. Maybe it's a little bit of the direction. I feel like we didn't get into Vince's head enough as to how soul-crushing this was for him because he carries around the note uh, and he looks at it every time he's ready to go out to play. But I feel like we needed to hurt with him a little bit more. Again, I think they felt that was unnecessary. He punched a bunch of holes in his wall, he threw some furniture around, and he looks at the note. I think, in terms of direction, that's all we needed to see. Right. And in the interim, he also loses his teaching job. Right. So, he does have a financial motivation to go after this as well. Right. 
because a, from that point on, a lot happens. I want to talk about the scene where Vermeil has the press conference. They're watching it on TV at the bar, and his friends, for the first time, start really pushing him to do it. Right? It's it's funny when I who was it? I think it was Tommy that said, "I've only got eight beers in me, but I'm serious. You got to go for this." It's lighthearted in that sense. But then you get Johnny, who says to him, come on, it's not like your old lady's going to stop you. And it just sucks the mood out of the entire room. It actually was a very powerful line. and It was a very powerful moment in the scene. Yeah, because Johnny goes beyond tough love. You can tell there's a little bit of a jealousy factor. You can tell that... Johnny is afraid that his friend is going to leave it because you you kind of forget how tight they really are because he's always on the other side of the bar or he's off playing pool while the rest of the group is hanging out. But he really is one of them. And the second that Vince potentially has a foot out the door, he he starts not only getting in a really negative headspace on his own, but taking it out on Vince in a way. This press conference, though, if this story was anything but true, these open tryouts would be completely unbelievable, especially <laughs> in the delivery here. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's what happened. If they did have the open tryouts. And I guess that's why Disney picked it, because it seems too fake to be real, but that's exactly what it was. Right, and you've got this beautiful parallel that starts between Vince's life and the coach's because the coach has just as much riding on this and riding on Vince specifically. Correct. After the scene where his friends are starting to push him, though, there is a scene where he has to go to his father's house. And, again, not a ton of backstory. His mom was sick. She died. His father wasn't there a lot. They flesh all of this out very quickly in dialogue. It's an incredibly rough scene, though. Not rough as in it's not well-directed or well-acted, well-shot. The fact that he's got to go to his father, literally with his hat in his hand, and ask him for a hundred bucks to make rent. And you see just how much it pains him to do it. It's a great, it really is a great scene. Agreed. You can tell that there's a sort of strain on the relationship, but not to a point where his dad, you know, it's not like his dad doesn't like him or his dad views him as a failure. He just wasn't around. Uh, and I like that. I like that he doesn't, you know, really make him beg for it. In a way, you do get to see the other side of it where I think the dad is sort of trying to make up for lost time by just giving it to him and helping him out and throwing him a bone. This is that tough love you don't get with Tommy. Yes, all right, let's talk about the tryouts, because now we're into the tryouts. The pacing of this movie is pretty quick, and, and I like that, because now we're into the tryouts. And, I mean, it's it's a mishmash of everything, because it is an open tryout. Can we please talk about the guy in the cape? Oh, my God. How the hell is that man 28 years old? He looks like he's 45, and I don't think it's poor casting. I think they were just kind of going for it with trying to, like, show you how utterly ridiculous this was. 
I love it, though, because you have to imagine that that is what happened and that probably 90 percent of the people that came to the open call are just, you know, it's it's those fanboys that think that they can do better. And I applaud him for going and thinking that he can do better. But two years, varsity. No, but it it really does happen in every situation, right? When we were working in radio, do you remember when they did the open call for the morning show tryouts? Open call. Yeah, it was rigged. The deck was rigged, you know, but that didn't stop, I don't know, a thousand people for coming and trying out. At a Dave and Buster's. Here comes Gina Marie that listens to the morning show every day and goes, I can be your friend. That's what I'm saying. If you listen to it every day, if you're a fan of something, if it's part of your everyday life, I love that you want to take ownership of it like that. But there's a part of you that needs to realize that there's a reason there are professionals that do what they do. And that an open call doesn't mean that everybody's going to get through. I mean, listen, I like to play roller hockey. I'm not going to the NHL draft combine. You know what I'm saying? Like, you just have to know. You just have to know when you're not going to make it. But I applaud these people for trying. That's what I'm saying. You can be a fan of something, but don't have delusions of grandeur. The Even the reporter, as he's trying to report on it, he tells the camera guy, God, this is more stupid than I'm used to. <laughs> The whole thing is great. You mentioned that the guy trying out is 28. They keep driving home that Vince is 30. Vince is 30. It's such a sign of the times how old they considered 30 to be. And I know Gen Z thinks that people over 30 are geriatric. Well, much like the way they are portrayed in this movie because they're acting like it's 30 and your life is over. Like, people switch careers all the time at 30 now. Not in the National Football League. The National Football League, the average career length is, like, less than three years. By the time you get to 30, you're a dinosaur. And that's today with rules that protect players and equipment that protects players. This was the 1970s. This was just that it was a bloodbath brawl. If you were playing in the league at 30, you were a dinosaur. Well, that's right. When you've been doing it every day for almost your whole life, yeah, there's going to be a lot of wear and tear. But I think it was just the general attitude of people saying you're 30 you're going out for this it wasn't so much the physical demand cuz he is in great shape and he does play football it's more about you should be married with three kids but that stigma of what your life should look like at 30 i think is what the commentary is that he's switching gears it doesn't matter what he's doing for sure I think they do a really good job right at the tr- right after the tryouts are done when his car's breaking down. Get used to seeing it because his car breaks down all the damn time. That, if there's one thing that happens in this movie that gets a little heavy-handed, it's that his car keeps breaking down. Like, we get it. He can't afford to fix it. It happens quite a few times. That gets a little old and played out. But what they do in this scene immediately following the tryouts when the car breaks down, is they have Dick Vermeil come out and speak to him. And they have this really great back-and-forth dialogue where he says to him, Vince, do you have any idea how fast you were running? 
And he tells him, and he goes, Vince, how old are you? Do you mind if I ask how old you are? And Vince goes, no problem, coach. Can I ask how old you are? <laughs> and he's just, he's not intimidated, and he's not impressed all at the same time. But not only does it elevate Vince as a strong character, but it also elevates Vermeil. And it, and it softens him a little bit because you can see that he's taken to this guy and the heart that he is showing. Yeah, this is one of those scenes where it's, Great acting and great direction because do you mind if I ask how old you are to the coach? Certainly could have come off as cocky and it doesn't. They, they just totally level the playing field in this scene. And it, it's such a great exchange. I love it. To your point, though, about the car breaking down, I could go either way on that. I, I want to say that maybe they embellished it a bit for story to show that he's down on his luck. And to use it as a plot device because every time there's an issue with this, I mean this, this scene or this film rather doesn't have a lot of settings. It's Vince's house. It's the training camp. It's the dorms. It's the veteran stadium and, and, the, and bar. the bar. So you kind of do need the car as a crutch a little bit to get characters to another place because he's always calling a friend to help him out. Or in this case of this conversation, the coach happens to run into him. So I think they did that strategically to break up scenes a little bit. But at the same time, if your car is that old and you just keep pumping money into it to fix it, I mean, like I've been there too where I could barely afford my car. So that's not a stretch how many times it happened. I guess not. Um, Let's talk about where he goes back to the bar. Now, he has not told anybody that he has gotten this training camp invite. Instead, he lets them find out on the news when it gets announced that he was the only one. And this, not that you didn't already love the secondary characters, but this is where you truly do fall in love with the boys from the neighborhood, even more so than you did before, because they're all so happy for him and they're celebrating. But then the news crew shows up. And they want to interview him in front of Max's bar. And you get the one guy that stumbles out drunk and he's going to use the kegs on the side of the building as his personal restroom. And it's live on television. It's done really tongue in cheek, but it just fits these characters. So it, it takes them from not just being a support system, but being legitimately funny and just seeing how Max reacts, it again, it was a really good scene for their for really for the whole cast. Max's reaction is one of my favorite parts of this whole movie because he goes, Come on, you're on TV. That's your response. Not please don't pee on my product. <laughs> yeah, on my kegs. It comes secondary to being on TV. Uh this definitely makes you fall in love with the boys, but it makes you fall more in love with Vince too, I think, because you've seen him struggle. You've seen him show up every day and fight hard. And he's definitely not ready to give up, but he's also not willing to put all of the eggs in this basket either because he's hopeful, but he's trying to be real about it. Uh, so I love that he gets the win, but he's so humble. We don't even know. We're not even celebrating with him until everybody else knows. See, and I think you're right. Him being so humble helps you continue to fall in love with the character. But I think even for me personally, even more so than that is the very next scene 
when he goes home because he wants to see his interview on the television and he has to go knock on his neighbor's door to go watch the old lady's TV because his ex-wife took everything. He doesn't even have a TV to watch his own interview. It's so good. It's such a good scene. And he's eating her food because he has nothing in the house. You notice every time he's eating in the movie, he's either eating at training camp, eating at his neighbor house, uh, neighbor's house, or eating at the bar. Like, he doesn't even have his own food in his house. Right. So it's I, I didn't pick up on that until the second time we watched it. But it was little subtle things like that where they kind of continue to show you that he is down on his luck. But they're not necessarily forcing it down your throat either. Right. Because I don't think I needed to see him as a bachelor try and have to figure out how to cook dinner for himself for the first time. That's not going to serve the story. Uh, It's just going to make him seem a little bit clueless. Um, You know, and even though he is eating at the neighbor's house and he's borrowing money from his father, you still, it still doesn't read as he's taking handouts from people. He's just doing what he's got to do to get by. And I think also part of that is him having to be hyper-focused on football. Correct. So the next day he goes to training camp. This should surprise nobody. He's the first one there. And he has a really interesting exchange with who I believe is the equipment manager. He goes to his locker, and the guy doesn't take him seriously. He's like, don't touch anything that's not yours, like he's a child. He goes to the locker where his name is spelled wrong. And he says to this guy, hey, my name is spelled wrong. And he says, kid, by the time I get to you, do you think it's really going to matter? It's just another scene where he he's verbally getting knocked down because everybody thinks this is a publicity stunt because on the surface that's what it looks like nobody thinks somebody from south philly is actually going to make the philadelphia eagles right so nobody is taking it seriously but i feel like this is the first time like you said he's not putting all of his eggs in one basket but I feel like this is the first time that he really starts to take it seriously. I also think that this is the first time he maybe starts to doubt himself. Because when he was going through the rounds of cuts, it was always kind of like, all right, if I make it to the next round, great. If not, I'm going to move on with my life. And he was doing this more, you know, we said he's got the motivation to prove himself because of what his ex-wife said. He does have the financial motivation And he's got everybody in his ear, but that still wasn't enough for him to put the pressure on himself. It was just like, if I make it great, now you start to see, okay, I lost my teaching job. I've given up my bar shifts. I really have to make this work. And you see him start to worry and start to doubt. Here's where the area is a little gray for me as far as what they're doing for story and what the reality was I kind of feel like for story they did stack everything against him but as far as like the equipment manager and the rest of his team I feel like it's kind of hard to believe that the team wouldn't rally around him or or that there's not at least some sort of respect for wow this guy made it so far through all these rounds of cuts and like where they would at least recognize the talent, even though that he, well, I mean, I guess as I'm saying it, 
they've trained their whole life for this. And this guy, the Johnny Come Lately shows up who doesn't have all the formal training and just took a spot on the team. Well, that's what it is. These are guys that played high school ball, played college ball. They train, they've signed contracts. They think, you know, they're the big man on campus, right? They all think that they are. They all have an ego. They're professional athletes, even in the 1970s. And here comes a bartender that's going to take their jobs. Because a Cavalier coach is putting them on the spot for the first time. Remember, even for the 1970s, there were professional athletes. They're not as—they're not the babies that they are today. Then they are babies, um, because they're so pampered now. But you had those guys who thought who they were. They—they they think you know they're the cock of the walk. They don't think they don't want somebody coming in off the street. Showing that they can do the same thing that you trained your whole life to do, whether the person deserves it or not. Right, because then it's like, well, who's next? Who else can take my spot? However, there is still something to be said for you have to have some sort of camaraderie and respect for your teammate, whether you like the circumstances that he joined in or not. That's the only thing. I'm not, I wasn't expecting a welcome with open arms, but the hazing and all of the negativity that dragged on a little bit for me. Yeah. Calling him old man constantly pops quit. They, they are the ones that pull the note out of the locker and they read it. Um, so not only does it kind of, it, it upsets you cause now we know what this note says, but it upsets you that when they pull the note out and read it, they don't sit there and read it and go, geez, maybe we're being a little too hard on the guy. They sit there and they laugh it off and go, she's brutal. And they just throw it back in his locker. Like it does not phase them at all. If anything, it, it fuels them. It, yeah. It fuels their anger towards him. No, I, I mean, in the sense of, I think that they're, they're looking at him as even more of like a quote unquote loser. You know, well, that's what I'm saying. It, it, it it furthers in their minds it furthers their agenda yes so you kind of get the feeling too that now Vince is starting to buy into this because when the first rounds of cuts come he is sitting on his bed with his bag packed and his playbook in his hand waiting to be cut right and he sits and he waits and he waits and he waits and thankfully he doesn't get cut and this is where Vince takes a shift as a character, right? Because all the while, what's been going on is not only is he, it, you know, this is one of those man against man, man against himself stories, very much so. But he's also taken a liking to Janet. They've also gone on a date. They have the second date set up. And when he shows up, he's all about it until people start to recognize him. And it's the one of the, one of the first times that I think he recognizes that he has more of a responsibility than just to himself to make this team. Because he tells her, you know, hey, look, now's not a good time. Maybe we try this again. And she totally blows him off. She's like, oh, what, do you think this was a date or something? And she's the one that storms off because you can tell that she's been hurt in the process. But it is the first time that to him now, other than hearing it from the boys in the bar, because everybody... Sometimes, I hate to say it, when you hear something enough times from your friends, it's it's kind of patronizing. Yeah. When you start getting strangers off the street that are, hey, you're one of us. You're doing it for us, for the everyday common man. For the guy in the cape. That's where he's... Exactly, he's doing it for the guy in the cape. 
right? Like, so this is where I feel like, like something switches on in his head and you get a completely different Vince Papali for the rest of the movie. Not dislikable, but very different. I would agree with that, but I feel like story-wise, it's a little bit clunky. This may have been how his relationship with Janet actually went, but I feel like we should have been a little bit more invested in their relationship before he called it off. Or, I mean, really, they mutually called it off just to buy into the character moment a little bit more because they've barely been on two dates at this point. We know that Janet has her guard up as well. Um, I think that she was willing to let the guard down, but then as soon as he said that, she was like, oh, no, no, this wasn't it. And she kind of brushes it off. I think she only did that so that she wasn't showing her cards that she was actually hurt by it. Um, And I think it's also a realization, too. You know, she's a Giants fan. Uh, She's starting to root for the Eagles at this point because she's invested in him. But I think she also recognizes that if he becomes this big football star, how difficult this is going to be. Uh, And, you know, she also... She was down to be with him when it was just the rags to riches story where he was going through the tryouts and he was working hard. Now that he's starting to get recognized, that's where she got uncomfortable. Right, because they have in their first date a conversation where she says, my ex-boyfriend isn't what he said he was. And, you know, you find come to find out that she was the other woman in the relationship. But I think that to to your point... She's coming. She moved from from New York to Philly for a fresh start. She says new city seemed like a good idea. She's I don't want to say she's running from her problems, but she's kind of running from her problems a little bit. And she's looking for this fresh start. I think that as soon as she sees how he's sort of changing a little bit. It's like a defense mechanism for her because she doesn't want a repeat of the exact same thing that she went to and ran to Philly to escape from. Right, because on their first date as they're starting to get to know each other, they both put it out there that they're from humble beginnings, they've both been hurt by other people, and they're big football fans. So I think that's where she was willing to sort of let her guard down for him, but now she's totally seeing him as this different person. And as I said, I just feel like it would have been a bigger character moment if their relationship was defined at this point. This might have been how it really went in real life, that they couldn't even make it to their second date. But story-wise, I feel like this is where you could maybe take a little bit of liberty. And for us to feel something for the characters, if they were a little bit further along in the relationship, it would have hit a little bit harder. Sure. So he gets through training camp. He makes the team. Of course, we know he's going to make a team. It's such a wonderful moment back to the broken down car. His car's not really broken down, but he calls Tommy. Because of all of the people, other than Johnny, who's just being a jerk, the pe- the person that was kind of taking everything the hardest and rooting for him the hardest, even more so than his father, was Tommy. Tommy really needed him to make this team because he's had such a rough time because there's going to be a labor strike, they're out of work. He has this really great moment where he fakes the car breaking down just so that Tommy can be the first one to hear he made the team before it's announced on the news. 
I love this scene and I love their friendship because now everybody's clout chasing, right? Everybody wants to know what their friend can do for them. Yeah. Here, Tommy just wants some good news. He's as invested, if not more so invested in Vince's career than Vince himself is just because he wants to share in the joy. For sure. Now you get the regular season kickoff because they celebrate at the bar and Johnny's a jerk and his father's proud. But we get past that. The regular season kickoff in Dallas. You are so excited for Vince. You can see the look on his face as they come out of that tunnel in Dallas and he freezes. He totally freezes on national TV in front of the fans in Dallas in front of his friends in front of the coach in front of the coach and Vermeil just takes him by the helmet and goes I stood up for you I put my neck on the line for you because the other coaches did not want him Dick Vermeil was the only one that wanted him and he, I mean all he needed was the final say but he was in a democracy he would have been outvote a hundred percent so this is an important scene though because it's a bit of a fake out like You're waiting to see him have, like, this immediate success because he's done so well in training camp, especially once uh, he and Denny Frank started working together and that was a nice relationship that they formed and Denny made the team, too, and you're excited for the both of them. And Vince just struggles so much. He goes back to Philly thinking that, at this point, if I have one more bad game, I'm cut, right? And that's important because as he's driving around the old neighborhood... Because, again, the neighborhood is a character. He sees a kid. He sees a group of kids playing, basically, it's not sandlot football, but they're playing football in, like, a tennis court. And a kid has an Eagles jersey on. And with masking tape, he made himself a Papali jersey. It's, I love this scene. I love the kid. And I love what it does for Vince moving forward. It's so endearing. What I love here, too, is the pacing. Because you could have had him do the grunt work, make it through tryouts, make it through the first round of cuts, celebration at the bar, and then we're going to call it a day. Yay, you made the team. And they could have cut out of the movie there. Instead, that's really the end of your second act. And you have this third act roller coaster ride of losing the Dallas game you needed to bring him home. You needed one more time to be reminded for Vince to be reminded of his roots so that he can find that balance now of being Vince Papali of the Eagles and being Vince Papali, the guy that's going to go and play football in the rain as he does. And that's what he does. So he has, he has the scene with the kid with the homemade Jersey. And then he goes and plays Sandlot football against his contract because that would never fly. Even at the time it wouldn't have flown. But he goes and he plays Sandlot football. He makes amends with Johnny. He helps his friends. He makes amends with Janet, amongst other things. All very important to, that, that that moment with that kid in the jersey led to all of that because it ends with the Giant game. With all of his friends in attendance, with Janet in attendance, and he has a much better game forces that fumble, and returns it for a touchdown. He and, and the other thing that he does, other than becoming the immediate hometown hero, he tears up the note. Yes. I, I don't want to like overlook that. 
He goes into his locker because he's seen enough. Like, to me, Vince has been building this entire movie. And even through all of that, even through the adversity, even through, you know, coming up against the odds and fighting hard and, and getting there, he hadn't had his character arc yet, which was an amazing thing. It's not until he tears that note up and I feel like that's the moment where he leaves his past behind and this is where you get Vincent Papali, the NFL star. Just a star with, you know, loose sense of the term, but he is, especially in his neighborhood. What I like is that Vince never goes to the extreme. Like, he never lets his ego get to him. He doesn't turn his back on his friends like, I made the team now, I'm too good for you. Where I feel like a lot of the times, that's where these movies go. It's the main character attains their goal and they step on the little guy who helped to get them there. And then they realize they need the little guy to get to the end. There was such a balance here. It never got too far out of control where Vince was the egomaniac. Um, It was just a good pacing of him finding his way. And then, as you said, yeah, we do get that final character arc with those three moments, with him seeing the kid in the jersey. He does at first tell Johnny no that he can't play, but then he decides to, which is a huge moment and a very risky thing to do because it's a mud pit out there and he could have easily broken an ankle or worse um and then yes tearing up the note um but yeah i mean it it serves and of course this is how it did really happen but it does serve the story well to have that first win for himself in philly because as we've said a million times now philly is the character so he needed that he needed his friends there he needed Philly to help propel him to this victory. Sure. You want to talk about characters here? Are we ready to move on to characters? Starting with Philly, I do just want to say that the first time I saw Bon Jovi was at Veterans Stadium, and that was the last concert that they did there before they tore it down. So even though I am not really a football fan, nor am I a Philadelphia Eagles fan, I am a big Bon Jovi fan, and I I do like being a part of that Philadelphia history. Did, did Veterans Stadium treat you well? Was it Actually, good I liked it. It was it was pretty. It was a pretty cool spot. Okay, let's talk about the cast of characters here outside of the city of Philadelphia. Of course, starting with Vincent Papali, played by Mark Wahlberg. I mean, he's just great. There's nothing else for me to say. I really like Mark Wahlberg in this role. Always have, always will. But gosh darn, the whole time he looked like he sucked on a lemon. I just wish that he would have like unfurrowed his brows for a couple of scenes. It would have done wonders for this performance. He kind of does the same thing in Rockstar, right? A little bit? I mean, I guess... Or is he a little bit more bright-eyed in Rockstar? Kind of hard to tell. I don't remember. I've only seen that once and it was a long time ago. I think... I think... You know what it is? It's not even that he was... That much more bright-eyed. It's just that in Rockstar, he was playing a much younger man. And he was being a rock star. He wasn't trying to make an NFL team. I kind of think this is a Mark Wahlberg thing, though. Because I'm even thinking of, like, pain and gain. I feel like that's the look. It's almost... It's like his Zoolander look. It is. 
but it works. I think it works for him. Greg Kinnear plays Dick Vermeil. I like Greg Kinnear in literally everything. To me, he's like a Mark Wahlberg. I like him in everything. I thought he gave Vermeil so much heart. I think that he was he was a tough he was authoritative but soft at the same time. And I don't I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. I'm, I'm not to say that he was weak, but I thought that he found he struck a balance really really well. I liked him as much as I like Vince. And see, I don't think that he was weak. I think that they gave him enough softness when they did the scenes with his family. And that's what rounded out the character. Because for as much as we know that he's under a ton of stress, we don't really see that much emotion from him. He doesn't lash out. He doesn't get angry. He nods at Vince in moments where they're feeling the same thing. The most you get is before the game. And again, it's that parallel. They're both getting sick to literally getting sick to their stomach in the bathroom together. So that's really the only moment of weakness that you see from him. Everything else is really just in those moments with his kids, with his wife, which I love that they humanize him with. And I love that we get April O'Neil. The second April O'Neil. The second April O'Neil, yes. Elizabeth Banks plays Janet. I love Elizabeth Banks in everything. Yes. To me, she's another one that is just good in everything that she does. I liked her in this guy. She was um she was funny, but and she was tough. But she legitimately was tough. And, you know, my five brothers, you know, she's gotta tell you a hundred times. But it like it never really came off as forced or phony. I think because Elizabeth Banks is kind of the guy's girl, like she works so well in this role. Uh, I agree with you for as much as it was. Yeah, I got five brothers. I got five brothers. I don't feel like she was putting up a front as an actress or for the character. Like I believe that from her. I believe that she can roll with the punches. I believe that she can handle all of the tough guys that she can handle herself in a bar. Um, no, I, I love her and everything too. I'll watch her in a realtor.com commercial. I'll watch her in Zach and Mary. She's great. Yeah. Hunger games, everything. She's good. in everything. She, actually, when you think about it, she really is diverse For in the sure. roles that she's taken on. For sure. Kevin Conway plays Frank Papali. Um, I really like this character because we mentioned earlier, you can tell that their relationship is a bit strained. It's not bad. He was just, he did the best that he could. And you can see that they're not totally healed from that. You know, Vince has just kind of learned to, like he's grown to understand it as he's gotten older. But you, I, I feel like his father is sort of a dark character. But I think he has depth. I, I think he's, I think he's, uh, I think he carries a lot of of emotion in his chest. I think he carries the weight of the world on his shoulders. I think he did when Vince was growing up. I think he still does now. But you get these really beautiful moments where he keeps talking about, you know, how uh, at first he knocks Vince down, basically doing the old, why are you even going to try? And then he has another moment towards the end of the movie where he says, remember when I said that to you? Well, that didn't mean that I wasn't hoping anyway. I really like him in this role. 
Wow. See, I view him as totally different than you. I, I like him too, but I don't think that uh, those lines were contradicting each other. I thought he was trying to use reverse psychology on him at first. And I don't see him as a dark character at all. I think he is the silent heart of this film. Whereas Tommy is like the overt heart of this film, I think he Pop is just as much. Sure. And Tommy is played by Kirk Acevedo. Good casting. Played it well. Doesn't have a tremendous role in the film. He's very much a secondary character, but like you said, he is the visible heart of the movie. He is very much a scene stealer. For sure. So is Pete, played by Michael Kelly. When he's not using the side of the bar as the restroom, he's he's one of... He's one of Vince's biggest cheerleaders, right? And and almost in an understated sort of way. Um, he's got the season tickets with him because they had season tickets at Veterans Stadium. Um, but another good character, and one of the one of the characters that very early in the film pushes Vince to go to this tryout. When you put it like that, he does sound very much like Tommy, but they are very different, and their relationship to Vince is still very different. Right, he's almost more like Max, who's played by Michael Rispoli, who owns the bar. He is Vince's boss. He throws Vince some extra money. Good sense of humor, good cheerleader for him. Again, just a good secondary character. I think Max, most of all, represents the city of Philly. Not just that he's got this bar. I mean, he's... He doesn't seem to be on the struggle bus in the way that everybody else does. But as far as Vince giving them hope, he's really the one who's putting the faith in Vince by giving him the money, like you said, in the ways that he's encouraging him. Uh, you know, and he's the one who breaks it down as to why Johnny, who you could actually argue is one of the antagonists of the film, uh He's the one to explain to Vince why Johnny's having such a hard time with this. This is the thing, right, with Max. Other than other than Vince's father, and I'd go so far as to say even more so than Janet or Tommy, the conversations that Max has with Vince, I feel like they cut deeper. Yes. Than almost any other character in this movie. And Dov Davidoff plays uh, Johnny. You know, I get it. I get the old neighborhood crap. I understand that. This is the only part of the movie where I kind of feel like it's a little heavy-handed. Like I, I feel like for him to just want to ostracize Vince for going out to play for the Eagles. See, he loved Vince as a football player when they were playing on the Sandlot, but now he doesn't want him to go be a Philadelphia Eagle. Who is, you know, Tommy's got, uh, or Johnny has season tickets there too. They all have tickets together. He doesn't want to see his buddy there. The whole, you're going to leave the neighborhood, it's a little weak. Right. And the way Max breaks it down is, you know, Johnny's not in a relationship. I think he lost his job, too, or was about to. And Max says to Vince, we're all he's got. This team is all he's got. Um, other than trying out for the team, Vince lost his jobs, lost his wife. Like, he's pretty down on his luck, too. So why should we feel for Johnny in that regard? Sure. Especially when he's acting like a jerk. But they fix their relationship. They mend the fence. He's there cheering him on 
at the Giants game at Veterans Stadium, just like everyone else is. But yeah, it it still sort of feels like a what what have you done for me lately kind of a relationship, and it's. It is a little bit of a character arc, but I don't know that I believe Johnny really grew up and is supporting Vince in the same way that everybody else is. Sure. Like he's excited to go to the game and know somebody on the field and cheer for him versus actually being proud that his friend made it that far. I don't buy it. It has more of a feeling that he's eating crow than anything else. Yes. All right. Let's talk about some of the differences between what happens in the movie and what happened in reality. When we discussed another football film, uh, Remember the Titans, I had said then my biggest issue with Remember the Titans was that they kept saying based on a true story and it's not even close. They basically rewrote the entire story. Um, And I said then... This should be a movie that is inspired by the true story, not based on the true story. That's not to say Remember the Titans is a bad movie. It's not. That's not to say it has a bad message. It does not. So please do not mix signals and put words in my mouth, Internet. But this movie, to me, whereas Remember the Titans is inspired by a true story, this, to me, is far more based on a true story. There were open tryouts for the Philadelphia Eagles. Vince, the difference here in reality versus the film, he's playing sandlot ball in the film. He was playing semi-pro football in a lower football league. He was playing in the World Football League for a team called the Philadelphia Bell. Played for two years there. Okay. Was invited to a private tryout so he did try out for the eagles but he was not at the open tryout that really did happen his wife left him and did leave him that note but it was in 1971 not the same year that he made the team so that's done up for drama he did meet and marry janet but they had two kids but It was in 1993 after he had already played football. Okay. He did force a fumble against the New York Giants. But instead of a a tie game or a close game, the Eagles were up 20 to 7. But that fumble more or less sealed the victory for the Eagles. So it it still basically won them the game, but the game was not quite as tight as they made it seem in the movie. Other than that, and, and, and the touchdown did not count, based on the rules of football at the time, his only touchdown came in a preseason game. So he did run the, he did force a fumble and run the ball into the end zone, but the touchdown didn't count, but it did help seal the win. So, I mean, that's four things, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, they didn't completely rewrite the story. When you compare the two football films we have discussed on this show, this is a far more accurate depiction of what really happened than Remember the Titans. No, and I hate to say it. Maybe I'm a little biased. Call me a producer. But there are 
certain things that you do need to embellish for a better story. It's like, yeah, if they were already winning, do you care that he scored more points? No, you have to make the game a little bit close. Otherwise, you're going to lose the audience. As far as being on the Philadelphia Bell and then getting called up for the private tryout, um, I think that would have given a little bit more gravity to the Eagles not liking him because, yeah, okay, you got scouted, but again, you don't have the formal training the way that everybody else does. So I think that would have solved that one issue, but it would have caused like 10 more in the process as far as the story goes. All right. I think time for our final review of Invincible on its 15th birthday. I will let you go first. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised with this film. I really enjoyed it. Um, I will say that I enjoy it more as a character study than I do a sports film because there are some moments where I was just like, wow, we're watching a sports movie. For example, when he does score the final fumble, it's one of my biggest pet peeves in films where there's supposed to be a group celebration and you're cutting away to individual characters. It's not as egregious as when they do this in musicals and somebody who is off screen is singing and you know they're supposed to be singing. But, okay, you're going to stretch that moment out by cutting away and seeing the rest of your main characters like Max and Pop in the bar. That's fine. But... I didn't need to see close-ups of everybody that's sitting in the stands rooting you on when they've been there the entire time. Uh, I would have appreciated more close-ups from all of your naysayers on the team that you just, you know, scored this big win for. Um, Close-up of the coach, fine. But the way that this moment drags, I mean, you have to live in it a little while to, like, really feel it um but I was just like the slow mo the slow motion celebrations it really did feel like a sports movie and this is coming from somebody who loves every stupid space movie when NASA throws the papers in the air and they celebrate uh but there were a couple of like cringeworthy cheese moments but overall uh I really like this am I gonna say god I wish I had seen it 15 years ago and I've been watching it yearly ever since no but the rewatchability is definitely definitely there and uh I think despite a few things that are gonna fall by the wayside now because people are just going to have trouble relating to them it's still a great character movie so to watch for the characters and the performances it's definitely worth it so I think that it is a very, very solid movie. Um, I love the cast. I love the characters. I do love the story. I love the fact that there were far less liberties taken with the truth as opposed to other movies. Because I have said, if you thought a story was endearing enough to make, then make the story. Don't sit there and take a team name and go, you know what would make it better? Let's say that all of this happened and we're just going to rewrite history. That's not necessarily what they did here. I I think the sound mixing is awful, actually. Um, I think that sometimes the dialogue, the dialogue 
the track is so low and then the music punches in so high. Um, that is probably my biggest gripe with it, but I think the cinematography is great. I love seeing old school football jerseys. I'm a sucker for that. I think the movie's got a great soundtrack. Um, I think in terms of football movies, it's actually quite good. I, I think I, I personally, um, just in terms of something being far more accurate to reality, I like it more than Remember the Titans. Um, I like it more than Any Given Sunday because that, that movie is like hyper-stylized and ridiculous at times. Football players are not getting their eyes gouged out, like literally. But in that movie, it happens. Um, a draft day is ridiculous, but it's fun. The replacements, it's a comedy. Like, this is one of those, like, tried and true... Like you said, it's a sports movie. But I think in terms of football films, it is one of the better ones. I think it is a great character study. And I think that if you're a football fan, it, you don't have to love the Philadelphia Eagles. You can just love football. You don't even have to love football. I think you just I like don't. you could just like football, and there's something here to take out of this movie. Definitely. All right, and I want to know, and Jackie wants to know what you guys have to say about Invincible. Give us your review on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick break. Hey guys, my name is Mike. I listen to Jackie and Sean's podcast every week on my commute into work. So I reached out to Jackie, and she helped me put together the perfect getaway. I did a four-night Disney cruise ship, and she was able to answer every question that I threw at her. She put together the perfect dates and an insurance plan that made the whole experience stress-free. She was able to help me with little tips and tricks, like you can get a Mickey Mouse bar delivered to you any time of the day. And I think that was a mistake, because now I put about 10, 15 pounds on. I'll definitely be using Jackie again in the future. Thanks for everything. So if you would like completely free assistance planning your Disney vacation, get in touch with me through any of our social media outlets at Monoreal Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email me directly at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. News this week is brought to you by Karma and Kismet Design. Whether you are looking at new branding, graphic design, media kits, perhaps you're throwing an event together and you need Save the Dates, table numbers or you just need some Disney stationery or home decor, Kelly has some of the best. No, she doesn't have some of the best. She has the best product out there. And she does take care of listeners of, Mon of Monoreal Radio with a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. She's got such an impressive store, and her Instagram is blowing up right now. She's been posting pictures of the stuff that she's making. It's awesome. Be sure to check her out online at KarmaAndKismetDesigns.com. That's Karma, the letter N, KismetDesigns.com. I want to talk about Disney Parks, but I am not going to talk about Genie or Genie Plus. No, Every, I'm, I'm done. The court of public opinion has spoken, and we're all in agreement. So we're just going to leave it there. What I do want to talk about, permits have been filed. In Orange County, Imagineers are going to work, folks. They are going to be doing work on the former NBA experience. Hmm, let's see. It didn't work down the road at Universal Studios. So why would they do it at Disney Springs and take away Disney Quest to try the NBA experience, which was met to sour reviews? 
you literally called this the day that it opened. I knew it was never going to last. I think you said, well, that'll be nice. I hope everybody can enjoy it for the month that it's open. I knew it was. And, and, and listen, the pandemic didn't help. I don't think it was going to last pandemic or not, if I'm being honest with you. I agree. It was expensive to go shoot basketballs. You could do that in the park for free. So can we get a big adventures club back now, please? Well, a lot of people want that. I'm curious to know what they are going to do with it. I mean, it's a massive space. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know what they're going to do with it next. I, I, I don't want like, to speculate too much. I love the Adventurers Club, Congolush. I'd love to see it come back. I think the space is too big. Actually, you know what I bet they end up using it for is because this train from MCO is supposed to land you at Disney Springs, right? I bet that's got to be like some kind of holding facility or something, or maybe you check in from there. Could be. I don't know. I know the Imagineers are getting to work there, and they're getting to work on the carousel of progress. This is really interesting because we don't know exactly what's going on at carousel. We just know permits have been filed. They could be putting new speakers in for all that we know. You got to get permits for that. But it leads you to question, are they finally updating the last scene of the carousel of progress? I hope that's all they do. I don't think they can touch much else. Well, there's a huge audience that wants to see WandaVision in that space. I don't... No, you're not going to put WandaVision in that space. No, there's a million things you can do with WandaVision. It doesn't belong in there. Um, I, I get the point, though, because you are spanning through the generations, so it would... A ride like that to showcase WandaVision would be great, but there's been so much talk already of the carousel of progress is being removed. It's being removed. And every time they say it, people kick up a fuss and we keep it alive. So at this point, like, let it be what it is. Let it be the classic retro ride. Let grandma play her video game. Maybe just update the video game and that's it. Well, I, I will go on record right now. And I hope that years down the line, I'm not a disappointed and b foolish by saying this. Walt Disney's Carousel of Progress is not going anywhere. You may see, and they, they say it in the in the narration, our, our Carousel family has changed a little over the years. You may see the last scene change. You may see the last scene updated. It might be something making it as current as Alexa, turn on the oven. Exactly. Like, it's funny, especially because they say the score of the video game and then it drives up the temperature of the oven. It's hilarious, but I don't think kids now, when they can talk to a computer and have it change something, are going to find that funny. No, I think that's an update that you're going to see, but I do not see a world where the carousel of progress is ever ripped out of Walt Disney World or rethemed. Whether you want WandaVision or not, and, and honestly, I don't want WandaVision in there. I want the carousel of progress to be in there. And we have Avengers Campus now. Like, I'm sure Wanda will be at Avengers. Relax. You'll get her. What do you guys think they are going to be doing at the NBA experience or at the Carousel of Progress? 
We want to know. Let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on Verbal or your podcast platform of choice. Be sure to be follow us. Uh, be sure to follow us on that social media: Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monoreal Radio. Again, the email is monorealradio at gmail.com. And for links to everything, you can do it online, twenty four seven. What year is it? I still say that, and I think it's cool, on the net at monorealradio.com. I could be in the last scene of the Carousel of Progress. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.